Hi there. My name's Ryan Bernston, and this is 50 States of Mind, a cross-country journey to all 50 states to talk to mayors, governors, and voters on both sides of the aisle to figure out what's really going on in the United States. I'll be honest, when I started this trip, I wasn't optimistic about the state of our country, but after visiting our neighborhoods, towns, and communities, I've been given an exciting education that has allowed me to listen, challenge my preconceived notions, and taught me something new. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, hello from Kansas City, Missouri. I'm back from the UK, and this is the place I'm gonna call my home. It's amazing here, of the 150 places I visited, Kansas City stole my heart, and here I am to stay. To all my friends who are still sitting on the coast, get on in, the water is fine. So I'm really excited today. We have our first presidential candidate on the podcast. We've had a lot of international perspectives talking about American affairs, and now we're going to make a transition to talk about 2020 politics and how that leads to a lack of nuance in our discourse and a highly partisan culture. And there's no one better to talk about this than Representative Seth Moulton, who's doing something very similar to the 50 States of Mind project, driving all around, talking to people of all different walks of life, and trying to make great policy to help us lead the country. Before we go into our interview with Seth, however, I wanted to thank everyone who's written reviews. You have no idea how much it helps, and I just wanted to share a few that I really loved. So the first one is from Ultrasound. Very much enjoyed listening to the different points of view and learned so much. Love the personal stories. I'm the child of a 30-year Air Force veteran who also joined the Air Force. So I've traveled quite a lot, but had no idea how narrow my point of view was. Thank you for sharing. Well, your perspective does not sound narrow. And one thing I love about this podcast is we've got people who are veterans, civilians, Republicans, Democrats from the South, from the North, from Alaska, from Hawaii listening in. So Every time you leave a review, we can continue to have a dialogue about our own preconceived notions and biases and how we can overcome those to have a more civil dialogue. Another one, looking to change your perspective from CC91. Really interesting podcast that looks at America from both an outside and an inside perspective. Ryan is a great host, okay, (laughs) and brings on guests who teach me both about America and the places they are from. I look forward to each episode and can't wait for more. Well, CC91, there will be more. If you're listening and you like the podcast, you like what we're doing here, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll get us more sponsors like Gen M, who is an amazing sponsor. Please check them out. Click the link in the bio. Uh, Without further ado, we're going to get into the interview with Representative Seth Moulton. All right, this is 50 States of Vines, and I've got a very special guest here today. Uh, What's your name, sir? Congressman Seth Moulton. Hi, Seth Moulton. And where are we right now and what are we doing? So we're visiting Veterans Community Project here in Kansas City where they have an amazing model for transitional housing. They're helping get veterans off the street by putting them into their individual little mini houses uh, where they can live as part of a community and get back on their feet, get back into the economy, get jobs, become self-sustaining, do what veterans know how to do, but is sometimes tough if you're dealing with post-traumatic stress or you can't even find a place to live. I really want to talk about veterans' issues with you, but the first question I've been asking a lot of people is it's the 2020 presidential election, and a lot of people are involved, and you yourself are candidate for president. (laughs) What's driving you crazy about the 2020 election so far? What's driving me crazy is that almost everyone in this race is just 
playing to our base to qualify for the debate stage. I'm doing something different. I'm listening to America. I'm traveling around the country to understand how we can truly bring this country together. Because I don't think we're going to win this election if we can't find some unity in America. And we're certainly not going to get anything done after we do win the election if we can't bring Americans together. Look, I'm one of the youngest candidates in this race, but I've never seen the country more divided. And what a contrast between the experience I had in the Marines, where my platoon came from all over America with different backgrounds, different religious beliefs, different political beliefs, and yet we were able to set aside those differences to do what's right for our country. That's not happening in America today. It's certainly not happening in Washington. And the guy in the White House is just making it worse. And where's that conversation about national service? I haven't heard it mentioned once in the debates. It hasn't been in the debates. And I'll tell you what, if I had been on that debate stage, I certainly would have brought it up because I have the most ambitious national service uh, program, not just of any candidate in this race, but I think of any person who's run for president for the last 70 years. This is the most ambitious program since FDR in the 1930s, since he put Americans to work to, to help bring us out of the Depression. I think that putting Americans to work serving our country can help bring this country together. That's the unity that I found in the Marines, where because we had unity, because we found unity behind this common mission, we could realize that in our hearts we had more in common than we had that divided us. Yeah. And you famously served four tours in Iraq. You were a captain. You were awarded two bronze stars. Thank you for your service. Appreciate that. Can you talk about what misconceptions you feel like Americans have about the military? Well, one thing is that people believe that the military in America is like the Chinese military or something, in the, in the sense that people just follow orders blindly. And that's not the case. I mean, yeah. when I asked 18-year-old kids in my platoon to risk their lives, you know, to run into a building and and, uh, and throw a grenade, they could have turned around and said, you know, screw that, sir, I'm not going to do that. And I wasn't going to shoot them or something, right? So it's just not the case that the military is about blindly following dumb orders. It's about leadership. It's about leadership that inspires trust. It's about leadership that brings people together. And that's why I think my military experience, while not unique in America, it is unique in this race. And I think it's something that matters at a time when we've got to bring Americans together, when we've got to find a way not just to rile up our base, whether it's on the far left or the far right, but rather to reach out to all the people in the middle who feel like Washington's not representing them. Admiral McRaven talks in his book, Make Your Bed, about the dangers of leading with your uniform and using military experience to speak for the military or burnishing foreign policy experience. Do you see any other people in the race right now leading with military experience? It's a lesson I certainly have taken to heart um, that, you know, I am proud to talk about my service in the Marines. Being a Marine platoon commander is the best job I've ever had. And I certainly would not be in politics without it because I had no intention of getting into politics whatsoever before I saw the consequences of failed leadership in Washington when I was serving as a Marine platoon commander in Iraq. But another thing that I'm always careful about is to, you know, keep my service in perspective and, and not exaggerate it and, and recognize that, you know, you can talk about my awards. I don't ever talk about them because there are a lot of 18 and 19-year-old kids who do heroic things and never get recognized. Mm -hmm. And that's why for as long as I could, I kept those awards hidden. I never told anyone about them, not even my parents, because I served with some amazing Marines who did incredible things and 
most of America will never know that because they don't get to run for Congress or run for president. Right. Do you feel like your lane is with someone else or do you feel like you have a unique lane in the 2020 race? Well, I'm the only one in the race with this particular experience, with actually leading troops on the ground, with actually being in in combat. Mm -hmm. What about Tulsi Gabbard and Pete Buttigieg? Oh, they're great veterans, and I, I admire them for their service. But, of course, it's very different um, what, they, what they did on, on their tours in the medical corps and then as an, an analyst in the Navy. So the actual experience of leading Americans in combat is something that I think matters at a time when we've got to find a way to bring Americans together. It's also given me a perspective on things like health care. I'm the only candidate in this race who gets single-payer health care because I made a commitment to continue going to the VA with my fellow Marines, my fellow combat veterans, even as a member of Congress. And as we're debating Medicare for all and the public option and all this stuff, you know, there are a lot of politicians up there with their big ideas and their fancy bills, but I'm the only one who's had single-payer health care and seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of what works and what doesn't. And I think that perspective should matter in this race. I also think we need someone who's truly talking about national security and taking on Trump, not just as president, but as commander in chief. And I'm the only one doing that in this race, too, about thinking about what next generation national security means, what we need to do to keep our country safe, not just to go back to the old world that Trump is trying to dismantle, like to recreate NATO the way it was five years ago, but to think about how NATO can be re-envisioned for the future, a world where Russia attacks us not with tanks and missiles, but through the internet. Mm -hmm. That's a national security strategy. That's a national security debate that I think should be a part of this election, because the most fundamental job of the president of the United States is, is to keep us safe. And I think that President Trump is derelict in his duty as commander-in-chief. So this problem of polarization in our country, I've seen a lot of it going to stay with Trump supporters, stay with Bernie supporters, stay with Hillary supporters. There's a lot of misunderstanding going on. What do you think the left misunderstands about the right? And what do you think the right misunderstands about the left? And do you think we'll ever get to an era of bipartisanship again? Well, there's a long list of things on both sides, frankly. (laughs) Yeah. And I see this all the time because I stay in close touch with all the Marines I served with, Um, Mm. many of whom come from more conservative backgrounds um, and belief structures than uh, than I do, uh, having grown up in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't be in politics if not for that Marine experience. That's why I'm here. And so when I went to a Marine reunion up in northern Minnesota with the second platoon I had in Iraq, uh, last weekend, it really, it really brought to light the fact that, you know, most of these guys, they don't like Trump. They despise the fact that he dodged the draft. They hate the fact that he flaunts the Constitution that we all risked our lives to protect. But they look at the other side and they just don't see good alternatives. You know, they want to see leadership they can believe in, leadership that they saw in places like Iraq that truly brought Americans together, not leadership that's going to you know, turn us into a socialist country or force everybody onto a government health care plan that we know doesn't work too well. Or decriminalize the border, which only encourages people to come here illegally. I mean, they support immigration. In fact, I served with several immigrants. I was talking to one of the guys in my platoon who's still in the process of getting his citizenship papers. But he voted for Trump because he thinks democratic immigration policies are ridiculous. And he says that as an immigrant himself. He doesn't actually like Trump. He doesn't like the fact that Trump is a racist, and he knows that. But he doesn't like the fact that Democrats don't really have an immigration solution either. And what he wants is 
leaders who can actually bring us together on our, around real solutions. Like, for example, on immigration. Don't decriminalize the border. We should have border security. But make it clear that we want people to come to America. We just want them to come here legally. Mm-hmm. And if you come seeking asylum, we're going to take care of your case right away. Justice delayed is justice denied. I want to quintuple the number of asylum judges on the border so that we can either say, look, I'm sorry, you don't qualify. You got to go home. Or you do qualify. Go get a job and start paying taxes right away. Mm-hmm. But not stay in limbo forever and certainly not put kids in cages. I'm not going to wait to change some law to stop putting kids in cages. I'm going to stop doing that right away on day one of my administration. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to a pathway to citizenship for people who are already here, yes, the vast majority of Americans support that. And it's actually good for our budget deficit because those citizens will start paying taxes. So these are common sense things we need to do to reform our immigration system. And if you, if you think about it, I'm talking about things like, yes, I do care about border security, things that the right cares about, but also things like a pathway to citizenship that are championed by the left. The point is that we've got to find some way to get this done uh, in ways that all Americans can respect. There's sort of this loss of nuance in the conversation where... Total loss of nuance. And this like, you know, this raising hands on the debate stage, kind of clamoring to just qualify for your viral moment to, to get into the next debate. That's not what this election should be about. I would have just liked to be up there and said, let's just consider this. How many of you, and look, I've got great respect for my colleagues, okay? It's, it's a very talented field, but I would have liked to ask, you know, how many of you, raise your hands, have actually taken in an asylum refugee into your family's home? Because I bet I'm the only person in this whole field of 25 that's done that. You did that? Yes. Yes, I did. His name was Mohammed, and he came from Iraq seeking asylum because the insurgents who were fighting us were also targeting him because he worked with Americans. He worked with me as my translator. And his whole family had their lives threatened because he worked for us. He's someone who risked his life not just for Iraq, but for America. He's an American hero. And he tried to come here through the legal path. In fact, he actually got to America on a Fulbright scholarship. He's also a really smart guy. But when he was here, the Civil War worsened in Iraq. His family got threatened some more, and he realized it was a death sentence to go home, so he applied for asylum. And I got him a pro bono lawyer. We worked through all the paperwork, but it took over a year to work through all the bureaucracy to qualify uh, for a green card. And then the whole time, he wasn't even allowed to work. So I remember when a friend of mine came up to him one time, you know, several months into this whole process, and just looked at him and said, You know, Mohammed. I get the fact that you're all trying to do this by the book, but why don't you just go to Mexico and walk across the border? That tells you everything that's wrong with our system. That this is someone who was trying to check all the boxes, cross the T's and dot the I's, and it was so difficult to go through the legal process that, you know, an American citizen just likes Mohammed and jokingly said, you know, you should just walk across the border because the impression is that it's easier to come here illegally than it is to come here legally. And that's the exact opposite of an immigration system that we want. So you're arguing that in your run, you can have a real conversation about these things where other people are sort of just trying to get the attention. Well, here's my experience. I'm having those real conversations here on the ground in places like the Veterans Community Project here Mm -hmm. in Kansas City, in places like at my Marine reunion in northern Minnesota, talking with Hillary voters, Trump voters, I mean, people on both sides of the aisle, but fundamentally folks who think that Washington is broken, it's not working, and they're not seeing a lot of options in this race. What you see on the debate stage is very different. 
Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, the Democratic National Committee, the, the political establishment in Washington, D.C., has set up a system that's all about getting your viral moment and not about actually choosing the best nominee to take on Donald Trump. So we have a really diverse audience from both sides of the political aisle listening. So if someone voted for Trump and is listening right now, uh, what would you want to say to them about why they should come home to the Democratic Party? What I want to say is that it's time to restore moral leadership to the White House. It's time to have a president that you're not always going to agree with. I don't ever promise people that you're always going to agree with me, but Mm -hmm. that fundamentally you can trust. Now, that's the most basic lesson that you learn when you show up for Marine training is you can drop out of a run and they'll probably let you try again the next day. You can fail a test and they'll let you retake the test. But if you lie about anything, you're gone that afternoon. Mm-hmm. That's how fundamental trust is to positions of leadership and especially questions of life or death. We have a commander in chief right now in the White House that whether you agree with him or not, you just simply can't trust. And we can do better than that. And that's what I'm trying to bring. That's the kind of leadership that I believe in. That's what I'm trying to bring to this race. Have you ever been so busy that you were like, I wish I had an intern? I've been there, between grad school and driving to all 50 states. Well, thanks to Gen M, now you can. Gen M offers you an apprentice for 90 days to help with your business, no matter if it's a startup or a podcast. You can search for apprentices based on skills, languages, and countries, and swipe through countless options to find the perfect person to help you grow your business. I'm such a fan of my apprentice that I'm offering everyone who signs up $10 off for clicking the link in the bio of the episode. So what are you waiting for? Start looking for a teammate today. I was at a black church in rural South Carolina with my state director. It was her family's church. And a lot of people wanted pictures with me afterwards. And so they all lined up and we started taking these pictures. And, you know, I said, look, if you don't mind, post some of these on Facebook to share with your friends. And this man looked at me and said, Seth, we don't have Facebook. I mean, they don't even have internet access in many parts of rural South Carolina. Now, no one in the Democratic Party would tell you that Black voters in South Carolina aren't incredibly important, especially in a presidential election. It's one of the early primary states. And yet they don't have a voice in this debate process. You know, they're not clicking on links to donate a dollar or mouthing off on Twitter Mm -hmm. about who should have the next viral moment. Those people are being entirely left out by this process. The same process that's kept me and some others off the debate stage. I don't think that's a smart way to choose the best leader for our country. Last question on a a light note. Do you have any fun fact that you feel like voters don't know about you? I was once a much bigger celebrity than I am now. Because because I hosted a TV show in Iraq after the invasion that was remarkably popular. That's actually what I did with Mohammed, and that's one of the reasons he was so threatened, because he was a very public supporter of what we were doing. But our TV show was just honest journalism. We were asking tough questions of, mm-hmm. of all sides. And yeah, we got fan mail. I couldn't walk into a cafe without having to sign autographs and take pictures. And, uh, you know, it was an amazing experience for a 
23-year-old American in Iraq. All right, I'm going to ask one more heavy question. From your TV show and from your honest feedback from on the ground, what was the lesson from Iraq that you think people in the military, people in the government should never forget? The lesson, the fundamental lesson of Iraq is about American hubris. It's just about being arrogant. And it does not mean that we can't try to do hard things. Because I saw places where even this crazy war in Iraq kind of worked. In fact, that's why Mohammed worked for us, because he believed we were freeing him from Saddam Hussein, bringing freedom and human rights to a country that hadn't had them. But we were so arrogant in how we went about it. We didn't listen. We didn't listen to people in our own government, like the State Department. We certainly didn't listen to Iraqis. In fact, that was what was different about our TV program, is we just went out and talked to Iraqis on the street. And we asked tough questions of Americans. We need more truth-tellers like that in American politics. We need more people who are doing what I did today, going out and meeting with local veterans who are getting back on their feet and telling their story to the rest of America. That's not what we're seeing in this race, but it's what can ultimately bring this country together. What you're saying is exactly the message of this podcast, going out, talking to people from a small town mayor in Ohio to someone at a bar that's in the worst intersection in Cleveland. Those are the people that need to be listened to, and, and you're doing the good work right now, and I think it's going to pay off for you. Well, I'm proud to be out here. Whether it pays off in this race or it makes me a better congressman or a you know, better candidate in the future, I just know that I'm so glad to be in this campaign because I'm learning a lot. And... I feel like I'm able to make a difference for a lot of Americans who deserve it. At the end of the day, I believe in this country, and I'm proud to serve it. That's why I joined the Marines and served four tours in Iraq, even though I was an outspoken critic of the war. It's why I took on an 18-year incumbent when people told me I wasn't supposed to challenge an incumbent in politics. But I won that race so I could try to prevent things like I saw in Iraq from happening again. And it's why I'm running for president, because I believe that we've got to bring Americans together. And that we can have a brighter future for our children than we even do for ourselves. But it's going to take a lot of work. And it's going to take a lot more unity in politics than we see today. And it's going to take Americans believing in the fundamental values of our country. Believing in America so much that they are willing to step up and serve America too. That's what my campaign is all about. And that's the leadership that I would be proud to bring to the White House. Well, Seth, thank you so much for your time. I love everything you're saying about talking to people on the ground, lifting up their stories, because that's what politics should be and could be all about. And Thanks. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks. Best of luck with fun. the rest of your tour. All right. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And to connect with us further, go to 50statesofmind.org or follow us at 50 States Pod on Twitter and 550 States of Mind on Instagram. If you want to shoot us an email, our email address is 50statesofmindusa at gmail.com. Thanks again to Bright Moments for the theme music and associate producer Mike Layer and the King's Hall Grant for the generous donation and our sponsor, Gen M. See you next time.